0: How many of you have ever had a nasty spill in your car? How many of you have kids or have had kids? (laughs) This morning, we're just going to look at the top five things that are the worst to spill in your car. The top five things that are worst to spill in your car. Number five, milk. Number four, soda. Number three, gets a little interesting here, never would have guessed this hair dye. I was thinking when I saw this was, well, who's putting dye in their hair while they're driving? Don't know, but I guess it's pretty nasty. Number two, vomit. Keep that image in your mind the rest of the sermon. Number one, worst thing to spill in your car, decomposed fish. I'm not sure what you're even hauling decomposed fish for in your car. But can you imagine the smell? Well, this morning, we're going to take some time and we're going to reflect on why spilling decomposed fish in your car is a bad idea and what to do about it. In all seriousness, this morning, we're not going to be talking about decomposed fish or the worst thing to spill in our car. We're going to be talking about much bigger spills or mistakes in our lives. And what do we do about it when that mistake or that intentional bad thing happens in our lives. One of the worst things what happens when you spill something in your car, and probably why those are the top five things, is the issue of containment. Because each of those things that when they spill, how do you contain them? When that liquid falls out, it's not like you can say, everything dropped right here real nicely. It kind of just goes everywhere. Containment is a real issue. Even in our own lives, when Bad stuff happens to us or we do bad stuff. It's hard to contain that bad stuff to just one little spot in our lives. It's not like someone can mistreat us and we can be like, well, I'm only going to be grumpy now when I'm around that person. Have you known, have you found that grumpiness is really hard to contain? That jealousy is really hard to contain? I'm only going to be jealous when I'm around this person. It's impossible to contain. It goes everywhere. So how do we not contain it, but how do we experience peace in the midst of the spill? Because we know there's going to be a spill, right? We know that someone's going to wrong us or we're going to wrong someone else. And when that happens, there's going to be stress. There's going to be difficult relationships. And our goal is not to contain it, Our goal is to rid our life of it, because we know that if we do not rid our life of it, we're just going to fall into an ugly pattern that we've all been in or that we're all in, that pattern of resentment, bitterness, ill will towards someone else, and then all of a sudden that becomes what? Vengeful thinking, that now you want something bad to happen to someone else. It's kind of a nasty pattern that we fall into. The bad thing happens to us or we do something bad to someone else. First, we're angry about it. And then we're bitter about it. And then all of a sudden we have malice, which means we want the exact same thing now to happen to that person. But in the midst of that whole cycle of things, think about this for a moment. The very bad thing that harmed you once is now harming you over and over again. This is what happens to us. Something bad happens to us. Someone wrongs us, and we allow that person who wronged us once to become God in our life. Follow along with me on this for just a moment. This is so weird how this happens. The very person who wrongs us becomes God in our life. You're saying, well, why would we allow someone who wrongs us to become God in our life? Well, here's how they become God in our life. That wrongdoing produces that understanding of, or those feelings of resentment, bitterness, malice, and a vengeful attitude. And have you noticed you can't control that stuff? It just kind of goes and it rears its ugly head whenever it wants. So what's controlling you now? The person who wronged you. They're all of a sudden your God. How weird is that? The one who wronged you, the one actually who don't even want to be around, is all of a sudden your God because they're controlling your motions. They're controlling your actions because you're what? You're covered in this bitterness. You're covered in this malice or desire to get equal. So all of a sudden, this one who you want to avoid, it becomes unavoidable because they're your God. Whether you recognize it or not, whether they're physically present or not, they are your God. Simply put, Satan has you and I right where he wants us when that happens. He's got us right where he wants us. Why? Because now our focus is is taken off of loving others, and our focus is where? All on self, feeling sorry for self, or all on anger towards the individual who hurt us. Perfect spot for Satan to leave us and just let us dwell right there. It just... Anger and malice, it doesn't just contain itself to one little spot. How many of you have ever worked with sheetrock at home? Have you noticed that sheetrock dust doesn't just contain itself in a nice little pile? A couple of years ago, and the project's still kind of ongoing at our house, we were remodeling our, our kitchen, and, and we've got the old plaster walls in our kitchen, and so we had hired cheap labor and kind of get what you hire. And uh, so they're knocking out walls, and dust is just going everywhere. And you even set up a fan, you open the windows, you hope you're blowing it out. And I found dust in the weirdest place in my daughter's savings jar. Okay, now this savings jar, a coin jar, is down the hallway at the end of the hall. And there's a lid on it with only a little small thing that you can stick a coin in. How in the world did plaster dust or sheetrock dust get in that jar? The stuff goes everywhere. Have you ever noticed that, though, about anger and malice in our life? It's impossible to contain. It will go anywhere and everywhere. It will begin to affect any and every relationship. It's uncontrollable. and That's why God is so concerned about saying, hey, you can't be drowning in bitterness because you know what's going to happen? You're going to drown everybody around you in bitterness. So how do we then enter into a different lifestyle, a different response, where when we're wronged, it doesn't control us, but rather we can still have peace in the midst of it. But what do we do, or another way of maybe asking it is, how will we respond when the spill comes? Because you know the spill is coming, right? You know that at some point someone is going to mistreat you. You know at some point someone is going to say something inappropriate to you or about you. It's going to happen. It's a guarantee. It might even happen today. It may have happened yesterday. Someone's going to do something to you. So so what do we do? Well, Peter is talking with Jesus in the Bible passage that we read this morning, and he has this little conversation with Jesus basically saying to him, Hey, how often do I have to forgive someone when they sin against me? And he even throws out to him, he says, Seven times? Now, you might be thinking, well, seven, I mean, he's kind of starting small. Actually, Peter is going above and beyond. See, the Jewish leaders of that time would have taught that there was three times that you were to extend forgiveness. So what does Peter do? He's like, you know, I'm going to go above and beyond. It's kind of like, geez, do I have to forgive him even seven times? Seven can be seen as a numerical number times three, but more than that, it can also be seen as a symbol because seven is, is perfection. So uh, we don't know exactly what Peter's meaning just tons of times or literally seven, but then Jesus responds by saying, well, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Very much meaning here, pointing, Jesus not speaking literally, but pointing again to this idea of seven standing for perfection and seventy-seven times, some of your versions might say seventy times seven. Again, is what, whatever it takes. You have to do what for whatever it takes. You have to forgive when someone sins against you. Well, that's not exactly enjoying news to hear. So when the spill comes or the hurt comes, what is the way of Jesus? The way of Jesus is not stuffing it, the way of Jesus is not returning it, the way of Jesus is forgiving it. And this is what Jesus requires of you and I this morning, that we would not contain the hurt, but that rather we would forgive the person who brought on the hurt. Well, let's reflect for a few moments this morning and try and understand what is forgiveness. Forgiveness is releasing a person from the penalty. So so forgiveness can simply be kind of explained this way. If somebody does wrong to you, they deserve to be punished for that wrong. Forgiveness is releasing that person from the punishment that they deserve. Forgiveness is not just ignoring the wrong like, eh, I'm just going to ignore it and they'll get what's coming to them. Right? How many of you have been down this pathway? This is called the containment pathway. Oh, they'll they'll get what's coming to them and I'm just going to ignore it. It doesn't work. Ignore it could be replaced with it's the stuffing method. I'm going to ignore it, but really what that means is it's code language for I'm going to stuff it down here where I try not to have to deal with it. Have you ever noticed that stuff that you hide in the junk drawer, you have to clean out at some point? How many of you have put something in a closet like, ah, you just don't want to ever have to deal with this box again? And then what do you have to do? Deal with the box. It doesn't work. When you stuff it, it's going to return. It's going to rear its head. What? At the most inopportune time. Jesus doesn't want us to stuff it. He wants us to release them of the punishment that they're due. Now, catch this. The punishment that they're due. Jesus isn't saying, well, you know, nothing bad happened. No, He's saying, yeah, they did something bad to you, and there's a penalty that they should pay. But that penalty, what? Should be canceled. Forgiveness is not just ignoring the penalty, but forgiveness is releasing them from facing the penalty. Forgiveness is releasing a person from facing the penalty. Now, this is critical to understand. Notice it says the word release. Release. It doesn't say anywhere in here the word remember. How many of you here have a bad memory? Pretty much everybody in this room has a bad memory. I know most of you. You're like, oh, I need to be reminded every day. I mean, bad memory. However, this is so weird. Everybody's got a bad memory, can't remember anything. However, what? You can remember everything bad that was done to you. We do actually have pretty good memories. And it's really hard. To erase the memory of the bad stuff and this morning there's sometimes been bad teaching in the church this idea that you've just you've got to forget it and then you feel guilty for not forgetting it Jesus doesn't say forget it does he want us to forget it yes but there's not a command forget that stuff the command is what forgive that stuff it's completely different and so you've got to train your mind that when you remember the bad thing, what do you do? You don't dwell on it, but you have built up a discipline that you enter into a time of prayer for that person. This completely changes your way of thinking. That when you remember the bad thing that was done to you, if you have yourself trained, that all of a sudden you automatically begin to pray positive things in that person's life. It takes your mind, it takes your heart off of vengeance and justice, and it moves your mind and your heart to forgiveness. Don't feel guilty about remembering. We're not going to stand before God and God's be like, you're guilty, you remembered. But we will stand before God and we will be guilty for revenge. We need to learn to move our remembrance in a specific pattern, a pattern of prayer, of blessing upon the one who has hurt us. Use that remembrance as a reminder to pray for the other one person. So forgiveness is releasing us, a person, from a penalty. Now, this is critical to understand. The basis for the command to forgive is the forgiveness of God. God's not saying, hey, I want you all to forgive down there because I don't have to up here. No, no, he's saying, hey, the character of God is one of forgiveness. And so God is basically saying, hey, if you're God's people and you're carrying around the name of God, what do you think God wants his people to do? Reflect the God whose name we are carrying. Right? Parents probably get a little bit a little bit under the collar sometime if, if child gets in trouble at school because what? Well, you don't want parents to think, teachers to think like, oh, geez, what kind of parenting is happening at home? You don't want your child's bad behavior to reflect on you God you and I are carrying the name of God when we proclaim the name of Jesus Christ and we do not want to reflect to the world something that's not the characteristic of God and the characteristic of God is forgiveness and so are we going to reflect God by the way we treat other people and we're really good at this we are really good at fair treatment, right? You don't even have to teach this. We've had no college classes at my home on fair treatment. But do you know what? I think all the kids get an A in fair treatment. The other day, getting a pickle out of the, out of the refrigerator late at night, the, our young boy gets to stay up late with me. Our daughter, who's actually... This is going to show how bad a parent I am. Our daughter, who's older than the boy, has to go to bed before... The boy, you get that? So anyhow, she's got to go to bed at 8 o'clock, whatever, 7.45. The boy just stays up until I go to bed. Don't judge my parenting, just the way it works. (laughs) And so anyhow, right, I'm like, she's getting ready for bed. Son's going to be staying up with me. I'm having something. Why can't he have something? So you go to the pickle jar. He wants a pickle. Sure, have a pickle. I don't want to argue right now about a pickle. You can have a pickle, but he gets a pickle. Who else wants a pickle? Ah, older sister who's going to bed and has already had her teeth brushed. But he's getting a pickle. You have to train her. You have to train her and say, hey, be on the lookout for fairness. (laughs) Recognizes it and speaks right into it. Your kids, my kids, are the first to recognize inconsistency. When we're fair to one, not fair to the other. What God is concerned about in our treatment of others is consistency. That you and I are consistently reflecting the character of God. He's not concerned about if you're consistent with everyone around you. The question is, are you consistent with the character of God? Because do you know who's representing God here? Not me, alone up here. It's everyone out here who calls on the name of Jesus Christ. Do you know who's representing God tomorrow at U.S. Bank? It's not the Bible. The Bible's sitting at home on the nightstand. The one representing God at U.S. Bank tomorrow is the employee at U.S. Bank who calls on the name of Christ. And God is concerned that that employee is consistent with the character of God. And so will we dispense forgiveness like God has dispensed forgiveness to us? The basis of God's command for us to forgive is that God himself has forgiven us, and what we're doing, we're reflecting to the world, is the character and the nature of the God who we proclaim. Very simply this, you can only pass on what you've received, right? Does everybody agree with me on that this morning? You can only leave in your will what you've received. You can write everything in there that you want, but if you don't have it, it doesn't matter, Right? You only pass on what you've received. The whole point of the story in Matthew 28 is this. The servant did not pass on what he had received. In Matthew 18, one servant owes a ton of money, and this number that Jesus uses in this story is just absurd. 10,000 talents, and and estimates are anywhere. They're all over the map, so I'm going to take the low estimate. The low estimate by scholars is it's 3,000 years of work at the ordinary daily wage. And so the servant owes the master 3,000 years of work, of wages. And all of a sudden now, that servant's like, can't pay you. And he goes out and he says to the other servant, hey, but I need to collect from you. Well, what does the person who he collects from owes him? (laughs) He owes a minimal, like three days of labor. Three days of labor of wages... Versus 3,000 years of wages. And what does the servant do? He says to the one who owes him three days of wages, Sorry, buddy, you're going to have to go to jail. You owe me. So he treats a servant who owes him three days that way. However, the one who he owes 3,000 years of wages, He wants different treatment. (laughs) Inconsistency. I hope I don't have to spell it out any clearer than that. All of us should see what? Inconsistency. He wants one thing, but he's going to give another thing. The basis for our command to forgive others is not ourselves, but it's the forgiveness of God that we would be consistent, that we would share with others what God has first given to us. How inconsistent for us to go to God and say, God, hey, forgive me for for X and Y. And then not extend that forgiveness to others. Are we consistently sharing with others what has been shared with us? I give one child a pickle, the other child goes without a pickle. Pretty clear, that's inconsistent parenting. That's acceptable in our household. However, what's not acceptable in the household of God is inconsistent dispensing of forgiveness. Inconsistent dispensing of forgiveness is unacceptable in the household of God. This is what he says. Look with me in Matthew 18 if your Bible is still open. You get to the last verse, and let's just be honest. Why does Jesus have to do this? Why can't he just stop the story and then not add anything else to it? He finishes the story, and then he says this in verse 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. In other words, if you don't dispense forgiveness as forgiveness has been dispensed towards you, be scared. That's the simplest way. That's the Macorah's translation there. And it's also in the Lord's Prayer. Everybody here, a lot of people here are familiar with the Lord's Prayer, right? You ever know there's that small little word, as, in the Lord's Prayer? Forgive my sins as I forgive those who sin against me? It's because there's a direct relationship. Our outpouring of forgiveness towards others is a reflection of the forgiveness we've received from God. And God has a stern warning that if there's not an outpouring of forgiveness, you need to go back to God. And you need to reflect, and you need to spend some time thinking about, have you received God's forgiveness that we can share with others? The basis for the command to forgive God is the forgiveness of God. And then we have to think about some things that, misunderstandings we get of forgiveness. We're going to skip that passage because I'm going on too long here. Forgiveness is not affirmation of bad behavior. A lot of times we get in the mindset of, well, I'm not going to forgive them because I don't want them to, to feel like they can just keep doing what they're doing. Guess what? That's none of your business. That's none of your business. You can't control if they continue or discontinue. What you can control is your response. So when you respond, you're not affirming bad behavior. Even if they continue in bad behavior, that's not your fault. You've done what God has asked you to do. As his child, you've extended forgiveness. But know this, forgiveness is not affirmation of bad behavior. And this is common teaching. we got to wake up. This is common teaching, not coming from pulpits, coming from seminaries that are training your future pastor. Right now, this is happening all over America. That we teach this, that forgiveness is affirmation. It's happening all around us. And so they say, well, we don't don't want to affirm their bad behavior. However, we're going to forgive them, but not say anything bad about their bad behavior. Huh? That doesn't even make sense. We don't want to affirm them, but we don't want to say anything against it. So we're going to extend our responsibility of forgiveness. But we're not going to say what we're forgiving them is bad behavior. Well, if it's not bad behavior, why do I have to extend forgiveness? Okay, at the basis of this is this, the get along to go along approach. Be very weary of this in the church world. Be very weary of this. It means this. What you think needs forgiveness may not be what somebody else needs is forgiveness, and maybe that's just something you need to forgive from your heart. But that doesn't mean that God needs to forgive it. Very dangerous, slippery slope. These you other know, things can just lead to a variety of different bad stuff. Forgiveness is not affirmation of bad behavior. We got to get comfortable doing what we're responsible to do—forgiving. We can't control the response of the individual. Anybody else got a control problem in the room this morning? Every hand should be in the air right now, right? Forgiveness cannot control the response of the individual. That's outside of our realm of responsibility. Our responsibility is to extend what God has extended to us. Forgiveness is not free reign to be hurt again. Some of you have been hurt this morning by a family member, a friend, a spouse, a coworker. And so what happens is this, I've seen it time and time again, is people feel bad that they're having a hard time extending forgiveness. They extend forgiveness and they feel this responsibility to stay right there because they think if they're not staying right there, they're not truly extending forgiveness. Forgiveness is not putting yourself back in the same spot for the exact same hurt again. So when you forgive someone, You're releasing them from the penalty, but that does not mean that relationship is all going to be exactly perfect and ongoing as it should. Nowhere God says, hey, forgive them and put yourself right back in that position to be hurt again. This really happens in relationships all around us because all of us have a yearning for affirmation. And so what happens is this, someone hurts us, we want to extend that forgiveness and then we stay in that relationship because what? We need the affirmation. This is where the church comes in. This is why each of us needs more than one in a community around us. So that when we're hurt by one, we've got affirmation of others so I don't have to keep going back to that same one for more affirmation who won't give it. This is where the tough thing comes in. Sometimes you've got to take a step of faith in a different direction to get affirmation elsewhere and not feel guilty that you had to leave a harmful situation. Forgiveness is not free reign to be hurt again. You're releasing that person of the penalty they deserve for how they treated you or what they said to you, but it's not free reign for them to continue bad behavior. You need to find yourself in a community We are not dependent upon one person for that affirmation and that care. Forgiveness is not free reign to be heard again. And forgiveness is not forgetfulness. We already mentioned this once this morning, but God had mentioned it again. Because some of you this morning, I know this from personal conversation, you're carrying around guilt because you have not been able to forget something bad that happened to you. God does not command that you forget He commands that you forgive. And so this morning, we need to wipe away that guilt if we cannot forget. And we need to do some practical things to deal with that remembrance and that forgetting, but that forgetting should not be driving us into a position of guilt. Forgiveness is not forgetfulness. You and I are different than God. The Bible says that when God forgives us, he he tosses it as far as the east is from the west. Remember that God is infinite. I got bad news for you this morning. You're finite. Every one of you, I mean, I know I've got the perfect body, but even this perfect body is going to crumble at some point. We're finite creatures, which means it is sometimes impossible to forget. But just because we cannot forget does not give us the freedom or the right to act upon what we remember. And so this morning, we've got to train ourselves that when we remember, we remember God's grace at the exact same time and His forgiveness. God has extended forgiveness to you and I. He wants you and I to extend forgiveness to others. So what does this mean in our day-to-day life? Let's break this down. Let's get really practical. So we're going to do our practical application today. Number one. If I want to live this out, what do I need to do? Number one, I need to pray for good things for the person who hurt you. This, is, this isn't just some little, oh boy, we got some positive preacher up there that's throwing out some cute little techniques. No, 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 no. This is Jesus right here. This is what Jesus wants. This is the business that Jesus is in. This isn't just a nice little technique to help you out mentally and emotionally. This is about bringing spiritual health not just to you but others and so someone harms you, we've got to train ourselves that our first response is this, I'm praying for good things for that person. God, this sounds, how, off, how weird this sounds. God, bless them right now. God, bring somebody into their life that would be an encouragement and a lover. So, so pray good things for the people who are persecuting you. P, pray. Number two, acknowledge the hurt. So many of us, this is, we're horrible at this acknowledge the hurt don't stuff the hurt acknowledge the hurt don't stuff the hurt let's say that together acknowledge the hurt don't stuff the hurt i think this is one of the number one problems in the midwest right oh i'm good good how are you fine great great we've stuffed everything this is what we do God doesn't ask us to stuff it. He asks us to acknowledge it and receive the help of the people of God around us. And so you've been hurt by someone. You need to acknowledge that hurt to someone. You need to describe what that hurt is doing. You might be saying, oh, you're getting all touchy-feely now and counselor-ish. Not not at all. Just dealing with basic human nature. Nature that we need to express what's in here so what's in here does not control what gets expressed. Does that make sense? I need to express what's in here so what's in here does not control what gets expressed. Because if I do not express it, what's in here begins to control not only what gets expressed to the person who hurt me, but everybody else around me. Do you have a safe place to express, acknowledge the hurt? Right? Free advertisement, community groups. We don't just do community groups like, I don't need something to do this week. Because God commands his people to be in relationship together, to be in such relationship that you can acknowledge hurt to one another. First thing we need to do is we need to pray for the person, we need to acknowledge the hurt, and then the third thing we need to do is we need to saturate ourselves in the gospel. The gospel is very simply this. The good news that Jesus Christ took your punishment on the cross. You can simplify it down to that. The good news that Jesus Christ took your punishment on the cross. Did you catch that? Your punishment. You deserve punishment, but Jesus took that punishment. So reflecting, saturating on the gospel, what it does is this. It moves me into a position to remember that I myself have also wronged others. That I myself have wronged God. And so saturating myself in the gospel reminds me of what God has done towards me. And what I can extend to others. This is why I memorize gospel saturated verses. Romans 5, we read it earlier in our service today. That this concept about God forgiving us, that we're no longer his enemies. That's the gospel. In a nutshell, the gospel is we're the enemies of God, but Jesus Christ came and died for us, and we're forgiven. Memorize that so it's saturated in your mind so that you can reflect that and apply that to other people in your life. Saturate yourself in the gospel. Fourth, speak positive things about or to the other person. Now you're again, you're like, oh boy, here he is again, Dr. Phil, giving us some things. This is not Dr. Phil. This is practical outworking of fulfilling the law of God. And the law of God says love your neighbor. You cannot love your neighbor if all you're doing is speaking ill will of your neighbor. You and I, even somebody that hurts us, do you know what we need to do? We need to speak positively about that person and when we have the opportunity, to that person. Here's the reason I put about or to in that sentence because most of us are like, oh, at least I never have to see them again. And we feel actually pretty good about ourselves that we're not speaking badly to them, but we're speaking badly about them. It's doing the exact same thing to our hearts. It's creating the same atmosphere of animosity and bitterness in our own hearts. So we need to speak positively about or to the person. This can be a challenge, right? Someone's a jerk. You got to really stretch. You got to look for something to say. You might have to start just very simply, like, "Oh, you got a great car." You're you're really stretching. Yeah, I'm stretching. You got to start somewhere. Love your shoes. Whatever it takes. Start somewhere. We need to pray for the person. We need to acknowledge acknowledge the hurt. We need to saturate ourselves in the gospel. We need to speak positive things about and to the other person. If you and I want to be the people of God, we're going to be forgivers. We're going to be people who release others of the wrongdoing that they've done to us. Finally, this is what you need to do. You need to tell, whoops, that wasn't me, sorry. You need to tell someone, you need to tell someone that you're taking a pass. Follow along with me here. You need to tell someone else that you're taking a pass. So Frank hurts you. You need to go to Francisca, who's not Frank's wife, don't get caught on that, Francisca, and say, Francisca, Franklin hurt me, but I'm going to take a pass. What does it mean to take a pass? I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to acknowledge the hurt. I'm going to saturate myself with the gospel. And I'm going to speak positively about the other person. I need to say that to somebody else. So that what? It's not just here. But I have someone to walk alongside of me and with me through it. Very simply, you can summarize this sermon in three words. Pass it on. Pass it on. What are you passing on? You're passing on the forgiveness that God has extended to you through his son, Jesus Christ. And now he wants you and I to pass that on to the people around us. What is the forgiveness that God has extended to you and I? The forgiveness that God has extended to you and I is very simply this. That you and I deserve the wrath of God But instead, we received the very best of God. We deserved the wrath of God, but we have received the very best of God. Here's what I mean. The very best of God. Catch this. You've already received a portion of the best of God. You've received his son, Jesus Christ. He's already given him on our behalf to die on the cross in our place for what we deserved. And the next piece then is we receive the best of God because now we get the presence of God through the person of Jesus Christ. And so today, will you release the wrath and will you pass on to others what has been first given to you forgiveness? What's been given to you is that God has set aside his wrath and he's given you eternal peace in his presence through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. And now he asks you and I to pass it on. And so today, you might not be experiencing peace because of what someone else has done to you. The world would teach you the following. Ignore them or return it. Neither brings lasting peace. There's only one way To bring lasting peace. And that's to pass it on. To pass on to them what God has given to you. The forgiveness of your sins. And so today, will you pray for them? Will you acknowledge your hurt? Will you saturate yourself with the good news of Jesus Christ? And will you speak positively about others? Because of what God has done for you. Let it be said of us that we passed it on. Let us pray. Gracious and everlasting God, we thank you this morning for your patience with us. In the midst of your patience, we thank you, O Lord, for the forgiveness that you have passed to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask now, in the name of Jesus Christ, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, you would give us the supernatural ability to pass on to others what you have first given to us. And so, God, we ask now this morning that as we turn our hearts and our minds to the communion cup and the communion bread, we ask, Lord, that you would use this time to remind us of what you have done for us. And so, God, now I ask that you'd soften our hearts here in this room, first and foremost, to receive this gift. So, God, we ask that you'd go to work on our hearts now, that you would forgive us, renew us, and strengthen us to pass on that forgiveness to others. In Jesus' name, amen.